Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Hello to everybody on Zoom. My wife's on Zoom this morning. She's out of town at a conference. So, how you doing, honey? So, Russ asked me to speak about like, so what does uh, the communion, like what's that all about? And so I'm gonna talk about that today. Uh, we got a slide up here. Uh, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, right? And so let's turn over to Matthew 26. Start there. So in Matthew 26, we pick up and it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so this is like where it begins, like the Lord's Supper. It's right here that Jesus established something that would be remembered and taken to heart throughout all the world. And so if you go over into Acts chapter 2, and we look in 42, and it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so this same breaking of bread, they take it that this was this same Lord's Supper that had been instituted then was now being taken up here. And this whole idea of the Lord's Supper spread throughout Christendom at the time. And so by the time you get to Acts 20 and verse 7, you see that Luke is writing about Paul and his journeys, and he's saying on the first day of the week, they got together and they broke bread. They had the Lord's Supper. And so we see that there was something established that was happening on the first day of the week. And so this sort of tradition, what the first century church did, kind of passed down and it went out, and this was the norm. Now, the initial Acts 2, that whole message was to the Jews and to God-fearing Greeks, probably Greeks who had converted to Judaism. And all of the symbolism that would have been there for the Passover meal and what Jesus had done would have been very clear to them. It would have struck them to their soul because it was something that they took to heart, their freedom, their release from being uh, slaves in Egypt. And so that's why we do it. I mean, as a church, we try and look back at what they did in the Bible, and that's what we try and put into practice here. We look at the Bible, see what they did, why they did it, and we try and do it here. Now, you may go to other churches, and they may have communion once a month, once a year, 
whatever their kind of tradition is. I'm not saying it's wrong. But anytime I can get to remember Jesus, it's good. The more we do it, the better we are. So what we see in the first century, if we're going to imitate them, it looks like the first day of the week was when they had communion. And now I could go into about all of the relationship between the Old Testament and everything that that meant of what Jesus established there, because it is incredible and it's very fundamental. Be a great teacher's class someday, Tom, maybe be awesome. But that ain't where I'm going today. <laughs> I'm not going there today. And so I got to do what a little PSA, little public service announcement here. What I'm about to teach and say, my opinion. If I ruffle your feathers, brother's not running, I'll be in the back. If you need to talk to me, I'll give you Larney's number and you can call him. But it's one of those things where I was going with the message and I was studying it out and I'm like, okay, Lord, we're going this way, we're going this way. And the Lord said, uh-uh, we're going this way. And I was like, oh, no, no, come on, Lord. This way, I got this. He's like, no, 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 we're going this way. And I struggled with it. I looked at it and I said, <laughs> come on, Lord. But God's got this way. When he puts something on your heart, you just can't get away from it. And I was literally, not just, not this night, but it was one night, I just couldn't sleep. And I was just like up all night going over this message. And I was like, what in the world is going on? I mean, it, trust me, anybody who gets up here, you try and pay attention. One, you don't want to mess up and you don't want to offend God and you don't want to offend his people. And so I, trust me, the people who get up here and speak, it's not easy and they, prayer goes into it. But this is one of those nights I just couldn't sleep. I was literally up to like four in the morning, going to work the next day. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And I was like, well, should I do this? Should I tone it down? Should I do this? And I was just like, literally, uh-uh, you got to do this. So again, brother ain't running. I'll be in the back. Come and see me. And I won't bother Larnie. You can actually call me if you need to. Don't text me. Call me because I want to hear your voice. I want to know if you're upset. Text, you can get away with that. When, you, when you're talking with somebody, you can't get away with that. I know you're upset because your voice done went up all the way. So I know you're mad, so you can, you can, you can hide that in the text. You can't, you can't do that. So some context, right? So uh, in Acts chapter 18, uh, you see that Paul is going to Corinth, right? And so... At this point, he had already kind of been on his, you know, journeys there. He had his boys with him. He had, you know, he had been in Antioch, Berea. He had just left Athens. And quite frankly, it wasn't <laughs> all that successful. It wasn't a disaster, but Paul had run into some hard times. And so now he's going to Corinth and pretty much he's going by himself, right? Timothy and Silas, his boys had gone somewhere else and he was going to Corinth. So a little bit about Corinth. Corinth was a major city, right? A hub of commerce, you know, by this time it was a Roman uh, pretty much city and 
you had a pretty large Jewish population there because again, it was happening. You know, I mean, it was right on the coast. People wanted to go from Rome to the east. It was a happening metropolis. However, it also had a pretty bad reputation. So basically, if they said like you are Corinthian, you Corinthianized, that wasn't a compliment. That pretty much meant you were like sexually immoral, you were leading the wild lifestyle, you were out there. And of course, all of that reminds me of New York. So <laughs> that's, my, that's my hometown. And I was just like, wow, this is very similar to where I grew up. I grew up in New York, NYC. New York Corinthian. I mean, we were, you know, I mean, it was, you begin to realize when you go and travel that a lot of the country is not like New York. They don't have the same sensibilities, thing that you think are okay. They'd be like, what? But the Corinthian church really reminds me of New York, the tri-state area. And so what I, I love studying Corinthians because it gives us some things to be wary of. Not in any way that I'm saying that the New York church is like Corinth. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we've got a lot to learn, especially in this tri-state area from the Corinthian church. We need to look at them closely and learn from them. So in some way, we might not repeat what they did. We can learn from them. And so if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Jump over there. And we're going to take a look at Paul here for a minute, right? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's jump to verse 2. So Paul says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message, my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, that's not a picture I usually get of Paul going into a town trembling, fear, and weakness. Now, I'm not exactly sure. I don't say exactly why he was feeling all that, but what I do know, he was scared going into Corinth big bad Corinth. he went in there thinking oh my goodness these people and what he did was he went in and he preached like he usually did he went into the synagogue and he would reach out to the jews and kind of as usual he got kicked out and uh so he had to go to the next step but paul was like the man because what paul did was he went like next door you kicked me out the synagogue from preaching he went right next door and started preaching and reaching out to folks. But he was scared. And let me tell you, after I like I know some of the people who came to New York and started, you know, the, the New York City Church of Christ. And trust me, there was some weakness, fear, and trembling going on with those few folks that came here to evangelize New York City. They had that same kind of thing. But that was Paul's feeling when he walked in and he started going into Corinth. And so why was that so prominent? So let's go over to 1 Corinthians. Let's stay there. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You are still worldly. That was the issue with Corinth. Now you can go through and you can read Corinth and you can read all the things that they, issues they had and trust me, the Corinthian church was out of control. But it all boiled down to one thing. They were worldly. They were worldly. And honestly, when you study the scriptures and you become a Christian, everything that you read here is about us getting the world out of our lives. That's what it's all about. It's like, how do you live as a Christian? How do you get the worldliness out? And how do you begin to live a righteous life? Corinth, though, had some special needs. That was a special needs church. They needed some help. Because again, educated, wealthy, got it going on, all kinds of immorality happening. It was intense. So there's worldly and then there's real worldly. And Corinth was like real worldly. Just like my hometown, New York City. <laughs> real worldly. But you got to deal with that. And so like, if you take a look at the connection, so like, hang with me. All sin is bad, right? All worldliness can get you into trouble. But there's some worldliness that will get you into some immediate serious trouble. There's differences. And Corinth had to kind of learn that. So if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we got to get into some things here. First Corinthians chapter 10, because what you quickly realize is that in being a Christian and being righteous, it's not about just what you do, it's why you do it. Because God's looking at your heart. And so you can have all of the right look and be totally far from God. You can check off all the boxes you want, but all you did was check off boxes. And there's sometimes you can look totally like a pagan, but really have some pretty righteous stuff going on. And so here in the church, the challenge is you don't want to be a pagan. You don't want to be a Pharisee. They're both worldly. Our challenge is how do we walk that narrow road of righteousness? That's the challenge. It's about getting the worldliness out whether you're way on the left or way on the right, still be worldly. You can put up that next slide, please. Brother said, you know, I said, can you work the slides for me today? And he's like, no, you got a monitor right there. I said, if you think I can see that monitor, <laughs> God bless you. You don't want to drive with me. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's about why you do what you do. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Let's drop over to verse 14. It says, therefore, my dear friends, 
Flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. It is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ, and is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf. We, who are many, are one body. For we all share the one loaf. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. And so we see here that the worldliness that was going on in Corinth at that time, they would get together for meals, not just the church, just out in the world. And the way it worked is if you were wealthy, you would have a, you know, a meal and a party and you, people would come over and they would eat. And the poor people would pretty much eat the leftovers, the scraps. And they brought that idea into the church. And they were like, well, wait a minute. That's not the Lord's Supper. What are you doing? That happens outside, not here. And he says, you don't realize that this Lord's Supper, the thing that I first gave to you that was so important, you guys are sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. And because of that, some of you are weak and sick and have died. Now, 
I'm not saying we suffer the same consequences as they did now. Amen. I'm also not saying there's no consequences. Ananias and Sapphira sinned against the Holy Spirit. They dropped dead. These guys sinned against the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. They were weak, sick, and dead. God takes that real serious. He takes communion serious. But is that where we are? And so that's the lesson, right? It's about what are we bringing into our communion? Because it starts with communion. Because if you don't get that right, what else are you getting right? <laughs> if you're not recognizing Jesus, death, uh, death burial, and resurrection, what else are you doing? What else? That's fundamental. And so if there's worldliness there, where else is the worldliness? And that's why you see the Corinthian church going through so many things because they didn't get it right at the most fundamental level. And if you don't get it right there, then yeah, there's going to be division. There's going to be immorality. There's going to be all kinds of stuff going on because you're just worldly. Are you saved? Yes, you're still worldly. And God will discipline you so that you can make it. And trust me, I've been on the other side of God's discipline. I've been in the woodshed. I papered that bad boy. I've been in there. It ain't fun. God get a hold of you. He'd be like, okay. I can last longer than you can. <laughs> you, you can go, but I can go longer. But it's about worldliness. And I think that's what we can learn. And that's where we as a church, get me now. These are the people. Because sometimes we can get twisted, right? Church need to go do something. No, no, no. You need to go do something. We are the church. So let's, let's just get that straight. So when I'm talking about the church need to do something, I'm talking about you need to do something, okay? So let's get into some of that. Worldliness. What do we need to be careful of? Now remember, how you say something, why you say something is important. We don't want to be like the pagans and, oh, yeah, anything goes, it's okay, don't worry about it, it's all good. But we also don't want to be the Pharisees, putting a whole bunch of rules and regulations and making people jump through hoops, and ain't got nothing to do with what the Bible said. We got to be careful. We got to look for righteousness. But still, we got to look for it. Notice with the Corinthian church, this is Paul's, actually his second letter. It was a first letter. We don't know what it is. But he wrote this letter again. Why? Because some people in the church saw some stuff going on, and I think they were trying to deal with it, and they couldn't. They say, well, you know what? We know we need to go get Paul. They weren't this kind of crazy when he was there. We need some advice. And it wasn't easy to get past this. Worldliness is not easy to get rid of. That's why they're Second Corinthians, because they were still buck wild. <laughs> so that was what it was. So if you think getting worldliness out of you is easy, trust me, it's not. Paul had to make a visit to be like, look, I'll, I'll talk to some of you because I'm bringing the Holy Spirit and the power with me. 
but it's not easy. But they said something. They wrote to Paul. Paul was, he was in Corinth. He was over in Ephesus. And trust me, they weren't texting or sending it by post. They had to get up on their horse and go get them and then bring it back. But they said something. You can see that Chloe's household saw something going on and they were like, look, you know what? Hey, Paul, they ratted out everybody. It was just like, look, Paul, <laughs> here's what's going on. And Paul said, oh my goodness. And he started dealing with stuff. But as we as a church, if you see something, are you saying something? Not just letting stuff go like the pagans, that's all all right. And not like a Pharisee, but are you seeing something that's not right? And you think it might be, this is, something's wrong here. Are you saying something? Are you being worldly? We have to be careful of that. Trust me, there have been times when I look back and it's just like, you know what, I should have said something and didn't. It bugs me. It bugs me. But we owe that to each other. We've got to be the people of God who go, and if you see something, you say something. Let me tell you, there was a brother who was sitting outside. I ain't going to give you his name because I ain't talked to him about this yet. It was a single brother. He was sitting outside in the back, and I, and I went by, and I said, hmm, why is he sitting out here? And I went over, and I said, bro, you know, every, everything okay? What's, what's going on? And he said, yeah. He says, I don't want to be distracted. And he was lined up so he could just see the speaker. He says, I don't want to look at what people wearing, who's walking down the aisle. I want to just focus on one thing. I was like, yes, this brother gets it. He gets it. But I knew I needed to say something. He totally encouraged my heart. But I had to find out, well, you okay? And most of the time, that's just the question. You okay? everything all right and along with that you got to be willing to let people into your life you got to let them in because if somebody asks you how you doing and you say okay i'm good that's on you that's the worldly side now the other side that can be is like okay you're good okay i'm gone or we can look at them and say, no, no, you ain't good. <laughs> I've seen that walk before. You ain't good. What, come on, what, what, what's really happening? Just let, let, let's talk. We've got to realize that God has put us in this particular place with these particular people for a reason. You may not always see that, but it's true. God says, right? He, he put us in a particular place and time so that we might reach out for him. And after we reach out for him and we find him, guess what? He puts you in a place that you need to be with the people you need to be with. You don't get to choose family. You don't get to choose the crazy cousin. That's just family. That's, look, that's who they are. God did the same thing. He put us in here and you may look around and go like, like, why God? And he says, like, because I know that's who you need if you let them in. There have been discussions that have been had just kind of randomly fellowship kind of discussions that have helped save people's lives. Just because we had a discussion. And it's because, oh, I didn't know you were going through that. I went through that. 
And I may not have the answer, but I can encourage you the fact that I survived. <laughs> hey, look, I'm still standing. You got different situation, but hey, I went through something still. I'm still here. I'm, let's talk. But if you don't take advantage of that, that's on you. That's the worldliness. God put us here for a reason with these people for a reason. But you got to let people in. Some folks are going through challenges in their marriage with your kids, with your finances, with your friends and your job. You're having a lot harder time because you don't let anybody in. You could be doing better. You could be doing better. But you got to put the worldliness out and you got to let God's people in. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to talk about Zoom a little bit. <laughs> so I love Zoom. Hey, Zoom. Some people need to be on Zoom. God gave us a tool. A tool can be used for good or bad. I love Zoom. Some folks need to be on Zoom. The thing you have to be careful of, are you getting worldly with Zoom? Are you not here just because it's more convenient not to be here? I don't have to get my kids up early. I don't have to get dressed. I could just go watch it from my bedroom. I can watch it from the grocery store. I can be driving and have, it's just more convenient. I am not the Zoom police. Russ and Sari did not ask me to deal with this. Like I said, I gave clearance before. This is me. This is me. And I'm not even judging you. And we shouldn't judge people. What you got to know is for yourself, are you being worldly? Because if you compromise there, what else? What else? See, here's the deal. We need you here if you can be here. We need you. God has used your life and your experiences to encourage the fellowship. We need you here. Along with that, you need us. You need us. And you won't realize it until you actually show up. Now, again, some of you need to be on Zoom. If it's about your health, stay home. Don't come here and get a bunch of people sick. Stay home. If coming here is going to compromise, stay home. Some of us need to do that. Now, on the other hand, some people say, well, you can go to work, you can come to church. No, not necessarily. I got to go work. If the church is going to say, well, you don't got to go, you know, if you, you, you know, you don't go to work, you don't, unless the church is going to start taking care of people and paying their bills, <laughs> no, you better go to work. You go to work. But you got to remember, the idea of any company is to make a profit, not your health. I don't care what they tell you. Oh, yeah, your health is it. No, it's not. The bottom line is our top priority. If you drop dead, I'm going to get somebody else. That should never be the attitude in the church. Our attitude is whatever's good for your health and your spirit, that's what you do. That's what you do first. You do that first.
It's not what you do, it's why you do it. It's about your heart. It's about pushing out the worldliness. And so what Paul says, he says, you know what, what you need to do is, is there another slide? I think there's one more. Thank you. So here's the deal. So it says you need to examine yourself. That always, what, what does that mean? How do I know if I'm being righteous? You know, what, what's going on? Because there have been times when I've been people and they're like, no, I can't take communion today because I'm a, I'm a wreck. And it's like, that's probably the time you need to take communion, like eat a whole cracker, drink a whole cup. <laughs> you, know, you need, <laughs> that's probably the time you really need. You don't need to be backing away. You need to be like diving in, you know. But again, be that as it may. But what can you do? What's this examine? And again, this is me. You can look back. First Corinthians 1.26 talks about, think of what you were when you were called. And when I think back of what God has done in my life, poor boy, growing up in Brooklyn, single mom who decided she was going to raise her kids rather than to be abused by her husband who was drinking. And she said, uh -uh, I ain't doing it. I thank God for all the things he did. I can look back and say, God is amazing. You can look forward over in 1 Corinthians 11, 26. He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What will Jesus do for you? That's amazing just to look forward to what we have in Christ. When you talk about, man, one day, Lord, you're coming back to take us home. That's something to look forward to. Because let me tell you, I've watched probably way too much news. It's depressing out here. And I'll be like, Lord, can you come like now? I mean, like now. And then I got to realize, you know what? The Lord ain't coming right now because he's being patient, because he wants more people to be saved. And what he says is that you can hasten his coming by helping people along. And so there's all kinds of, you know, dual motivation there, but they can all be true at the same time. Yes, I love the Lord and I want to do what he says. And yes, I'm looking for it because I want to go to heaven. I want as many people to be saved as they can. But basically, I want to go home. <laughs> I really want to go home. And all is going to help. They could all be true at the same time. And the last thing is you can look around. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, it says, we who are many are one. So you can look around and you can see people that, quite frankly, in, in the worldly days, you would have never been sitting next to. You wouldn't be hanging out with, you wouldn't be talking. You, it'd be a whole different story. We can look around and just be amazed at who God has called and just look at their lives and listen to their stories and be amazed at our God. But that's what communion is all about. It's about taking that time to think about Jesus. It's about that time to put the worldliness out and put righteousness in. Thank you. Amen.